0: Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 247 3051 Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor.
1: And so when Paul asked the Lord Jesus Christ what he should do, the Lord Jesus, he didn't say to him, oh, nothing, Paul. (laughs) I just wanted to save you from hell. And now that you've got this eternal life insurance, just go on, you know, live the life the way you want to, just enjoy your life. I won't be bothering you anymore until death. So have a nice life. He didn't do that at all. When Paul said to the Lord Jesus, what he wanted him to do, the Lord Jesus says, get up and go into a city, and go there, and then it'll be told you what you should do, like Abraham, you know, he went out into a place not knowing where he went. It's so interesting how Paul describes this event in his life to King Agrippa. He's talking to King Agrippa, he tells him what happened, and he says to him in Acts twenty-six nineteen, when he's describing it to King Agrippa, he says, whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. See, he called it that. He can, first of all, he calls it a heavenly vision. And what's so interesting is that he tells King Agrippa that he wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision. See, he told Agrippa that you know, that vision of when I was saved was a matter of obedience. It all came down to obedience. And that's what happened to Isaac. God told Isaac, if I'm gonna be the Lord of your life, then you have to obey me. So verse 2 is a crisis of submission for Isaac, of whether or not Isaac is willing to submit his life to the lordship of Jehovah Jesus. And that's the crisis for every person who comes to the Lord Jesus. It's a crisis of submitting to the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. God gives one reason why the Jewish people have not come to the Lord Jesus Christ for their own righteousness, And it's stated in Romans 10.3, where he says, For they, the Jewish people, being ignorant of God's righteousness, are going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. See, what he's saying there is to say, they're ignorant, they don't care, because they're too busy trying to establish their own righteousness, because they can't accept the alternative when the alternative is submission to the righteousness of God. See, it would be a matter, it is a matter for everyone, because, you know, the Jews are just like everybody else, just a lot more so. <laughs> so. Anyway, it's a matter of a person saying, I'm done with trying to establish my own righteousness. Instead, I'm going to submit myself to the righteousness of God. For the believer, the righteousness of God is described in 1 Corinthians one thirty. But it's where it says, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness. See, righteousness is a person. Submitting to the righteousness of God is submitting to the person. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's made unto us righteousness. So we felt with Isaac when God said to him in Genesis 26, 3, sojourn in this land and I'll be with thee, and I'll bless thee. Those are painful words for Isaac to hear. Sojourn in this land. You know, verse one described to us what this land was. This is a a rotten land. This is a land that there's a famine in this land. There was a famine in the land. So as Isaac looks over that land, Isaac says to himself, there's a famine in this land. And that makes the words of verse three so biting when God says, sojourn in this land. You know, but there's a famine in this land. God says, sojourn in this land, live there. Those words in verse three, sojourn in this land. We feel Isaac saying to God, why do you want me to sojourn in this land? There's a famine in this land. There's a terrible land to live in. There's a famine in this land. We can feel Isaac thinking, I don't want to live in this land. I want to live in Egypt or maybe Maui. You know? <laughs> and how often we find ourselves Hearing God say to us, sojourn in this land. And we say to God, no, it's not a good place for me to be. It's not a good place for me to live in. Something terrible comes in our lives. Cancer, a difficult life problem. It's like a famine in the land. And our first move is, oh, get out of there. Move out of this land of famine. Uh, We want to go to Egypt. Get rid of that cancer. Get rid of that difficult problem. I have a friend. I mean, I know a man not a friend anyways i know a man whose wife got cancer breast cancer and for five years he took her to every specialist that he could i mean uh md anderson in houston got her enrolled in every cancer trial that he could and all this chemo and alternatives and everything why i'm not going to sojourn in that land oh we're going down to egypt and then she died and it was catastrophe So we pray, Lord, take me out of this land of famine. And God says, sojourn in this land. And we say, why? Why? Why, Lord, do you want me to stay in this land of famine? And God says, because I can work something wonderful in this land of famine, which is a fiery trial. It's a fiery trial that's described in First Peter 1, 7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, Though it be tried with fire, it might be found to the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. See, God knows that it's a trial of our faith. He knows that. But our faith is more precious than gold. It's perishing. So God's looking forward to when we come out of the trial of faith, and then we'll have the, to the praise and honor and glory of the Lord Jesus but like Isaac when we're in the land of famine we say it's strange to be here it's strange I shouldn't be here I feel strange this is a strange place to be and God says in 1st Peter 4:12 beloved think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you and we have got to imagine Isaac wondering if God really knows how hard it is for me to be in this place here then why does he do it and He could be asking a question, does God really know? And Job answered that question in Job 23.10 when he said, but he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I'll come forth as gold. You know, my father-in-law had severe Parkinson's that he died from after eight years of, of struggling, finally took his life. And he would be so frustrated, not able to talk, not able to control his hands, not able to eat, not able to drink. As a matter of fact, that's how he finally died. He aspirated liquid. And he was just frustrated, you know, and sometimes he would call on the phone and we couldn't understand what he's saying. But when I read him this verse in Job, peace just came to him. The last part of this verse, especially, when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. So, from a prophetic point of view, this is going to be Israel's testimony, the Jewish people's testimony, about how Jehovah Jesus brought them through the trials. And then they're going to say the words of Psalm 66, 10 through 12. For thou, O God, hast proved us, thou hast tried us as silver is tried. Thou brought us dust into the net. Thou layest affliction upon our loins. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire, through water, but thou brought us out into a wealthy place. Now, so what we've got to remember when we look at these verses is verse one is in the trouble, the famine in the land. Verse two is you're not going to leave the trouble. Don't go down into Egypt. And verse three is stay where you are, sojourn in this land. And then verse three is I'll bless you in the trouble. I'll be with you. I'll bless you. So when God told Isaac... In verse three, that he would be with them and bless them, God was saying to Isaac, you're gonna find more relief in God than if you did go down into Egypt. And so God's saying to Isaac that I'll satisfy you. I'll satisfy you, Isaac. It takes trouble for us to find God. That's the way it works. About three weeks ago, as you know, maybe you don't know, I fell off a deck at home, and so I bruised my shin badly. And so I was looking on the Internet to find a laser device to take away the inflammation and the bruising, cause circulation. So I called the salesman, and we start talking, and he tells me he's 37 years old, and he had uh, acute myeloid leukemia, AML. I told him, well, my wife just died of that, you know. And then he describes to me how he went through a bone marrow transplant and was on immunosuppressants and all the terrible things that is wrong with him now and how he has continual infections and pulmonary infections and problems in and out of the hospital. I asked him, I said, did that not make you want to come to God through the Lord Jesus Christ? And he said, well, as a matter of fact, he has friends who have done that and they have a peace that he doesn't have. And so I gave him the link to my testimony. and, and, um, And so yesterday I called him again and he tells me that he had atrial fibrillation. I said, well, I had that, too. <laughs> We're really related. You know? And how he ended up in the hospital and had cardioversion. I had that, too. You know? And then they put him in a room... In the hospital, in the extreme brilliance of the hospital, they put him in a room with a patient with pneumonia. (laughs) And so, you know, he's in there for an hour and screams and yells and gets released in the hospital. Three days later, he's got pneumonia and he's in the hospital for two weeks. And so, again, I said, well, you know, did that not make you want to come to God through the Lord Jesus Christ? And he said, you know, he said, I was sitting in the hospital thinking about that, and I was thinking, why am I so stupid that it takes these things to happen in my life to make me come to God? And so I I said, Well, you're not in the hospital now, so you maybe can't be as stupid now as you were then. So (laughs) I asked him, Are you ready to receive Christ? And he he did, and he prayed to receive the Lord. So pray for him as I work with him to disciple him. He felt so stupid. He says to have these life threatening issues to make him come to God. Well, that's our disease. Welcome to the human race. We are the sheep that go astray, and sometimes the Lord has to break a leg of us to cause us to seek God with all our heart. So We look at verse 3 and see these terrifying words that God told Isaac, sojourn in this land. And we see right away, God follows up, I'll be with you. I will be with you. Sojourn in this land, I'll be with you. So the sequence in verse 3 is very important for us to see. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee. See, Isaac, stay right in this terrible place, but that doesn't mean I want to terrorize you by abandoning you there that means that I'm going to especially be close to you in that terrible place, in that terrible land. sojourn in this land, I will be with thee. That meant for Isaac. Isaac, stay in this terrible place. I'll be with you in that terrible place. The word sojourn in this land, I'll be with thee, meant for Isaac. Isaac, if you unpack and resolve to stop thinking about Egypt and resolve to stay in this terrible land, then I'll come out to you and you will make the greatest discovery of a tremendous treasure that from experience, even in this terrible place, you can be blessed simply by my presence with you. You'll learn that your greatest need is not to come out of this terrible place, but your greatest need is for me to be with you. And if I'm with you, then this terrible place can be a place of blessing. And so by saying in verse three, sojourn in this place and I'll be with thee," God's saying to Isaac, stop focusing on the excitement of what it'll be like to go to Egypt and start focusing on the excitement of what it'll be like for me to be with you. God's saying to Isaac, start getting excited about what it's going to be like for God to be with you. You know, this coming Thursday, my son David is going to take his son Grant, who's also my grandson, but he doesn't matter. Grant's six years old to Disneyland, and Grant has always been afraid of going on some rides in Disneyland. But this time, Grant is resolved to go on those rides at Disneyland this Thursday. So what Grant has been doing all last week is that he's got a map of Disneyland and he's studying how they're gonna walk through Disneyland and when they're gonna come to what rides, even the scary ones. And then he's gone to YouTube and he watches videos of people going on those rides. (laughs) And so he's losing his fear. He's getting excited about going on that. Now, if Grant had said... I'm not going on any of those rides. And it would be terrible even to walk by those rides. It would ruin his time at Disneyland. But if Grant had said, going on those scary rides at Disneyland is not an option for me. (laughs) And I don't even want to see those scary rides. See, if he took that position, it would ruin his time at Disneyland. And if Isaac had said, God, you are all powerful, and you can take me out of this terrible land, and I have faith that you're gonna take me out of this terrible land and I will not rest until you take me out of this terrible land because I cannot stay in this terrible land. Then Isaac would make himself miserable and uncooperative to learn that God is all he needed in life. See, if Isaac took the position, it's great to have the Lord as my God, but sojourning in this terrible land is not an option for me. God has to get me out of this terrible land and I don't care if God is with me or not. I don't want to be in this terrible land because I cannot be happy and satisfied in life in this terrible land. See, Then Isaac never would have discovered the greatest treasure in life of learning that God is all he needs for happiness and satisfaction in life. So the sequence is very important to us in verse three. Sojourn in this land and I will be with thee. It speaks to us when we come to the terrible place in our lives and God says to us, like he says to Isaac, sojourn in this land, stay in this terrible place, I'll be with thee. That doesn't mean that God is saying, I want to terrorize you by putting you in this terrible place and then abandon you. Sojourn in this land and I'll be with you means for us that God is like saying to us, like he said to Isaac, stay in this terrible place. I'll be with you in this terrible place. As Isaac, with Isaac, God wants us to come out of the terrible place with the great discovery in life. The, the greatest thing we can learn is that God is all we need for happiness and satisfaction, just as God wanted to teach Isaac that staying there our greatest need is not to come out of the terrible place in life our greatest need is for god to be with us in the terrible place if guys if isaac just learns that god's all i need in life then by going along in verse 3 he's in so during this land i'll be with thee and we can only learn god is all we need if we go along With the sequence in verse 3, sojourn in this land and I'll be with thee. Sojourn in this terrible cancer, I'll be with thee. Stay in that terrible marriage, I will be with thee. Submit to that terrible boss and that job, I will be with thee. But if we say, well, you are all powerful and you can take me out of this terrible situation in my life and I have faith that you will take me out of this problem and I won't rest until you do take me out of this terrible place because I cannot stay in this terrible situation, then we make ourselves miserable and uncooperative to learn that God is all we need in life. And we won't enjoy our trip to Disneyland. (laughs) If we take this position, it's great to have the Lord as my God, but staying in this problem is not an option for me. God has to get me out. I don't care if God's with me or not. I don't want to be here. I can't be happy and satisfied in life in this terrible situation. And we never receive the greatest blessing, the greatest treasure in life, finding out all we need for happiness and satisfaction is God. And the treasure to find this is what God calls a little sanctuary he says this in Ezekiel eleven sixteen. 16. Therefore say, thus saith the Lord God, although I have cast them far off among the heathen, terrible place, and although I have scattered them among the countries, yet will I be to them as a little sanctuary in the countries where they shall come. So as we leave verse 3, sojourn in this land, I'll be with thee. We take away the message as with Isaac, when God brings us into the terrible situation that we must be open to God and his program of sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee. We look forward to the excitement of being in the terrible situation so we can enjoy our trip to Disneyland. Now, as soon as it's settled that God is with Isaac, we see a great trial that comes to Isaac in verse 7. And the man of the place asked him of his wife. He said, she's my sister. He feared to say, she's my wife. lest well, said, he, the man of the place, should kill me for rebecca because she was fair to look upon so here come these men that isaac is afraid of and when they show an interest in rebecca we see isaac do exactly the same thing that abraham did i mean isaac knew better than to do that isaac knew how abraham was humiliated in front of pharaoh for lying and saying that his wife was his sister just to protect himself you know who cares what happens to her you know see isaac knew how abraham was willing to throw sarah to the dogs in order to save his own skin. So when we read in verse seven, what Isaac did, he did the same thing. Our first response is, what in the world, Isaac? I mean, how can you do that, Isaac? I mean, you know, the exact same sin as Abraham did, Isaac, Isaac, Isaac. What a mess you're getting yourself into. And that's when we're tempted to say, well, I would never do that. you know. (laughs) And God cautions us to say, don't say that. Because 1 Corinthians ten twelve says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. See, it's interesting how the verse does not say, Wherefore, let him that standeth take heed lest he fall. See, it says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. It's implying a person is not really standing. He only thinks he's standing. And that's because the very sins that a person criticizes another person for for doing are the sins that he's guilty of. So that verse is instructing us to use a critical spirit in us as a warning light to indicate a fall around the corner in the same sin. As a matter of fact, God says that when we read how Isaac fell into this sin in this history, that that should make us afraid of doing the same thing. That's what King Solomon was saying in Proverbs twenty-eight fourteen when he said, "'Happy is the man that feareth always, "'but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief.'" See, Solomon is saying that a man should live in a state of constant fear of falling into sin. The, word, the Hebrew word for fear here is not the same word as used for the fear of the Lord. This Hebrew word for fear in Proverbs 28, 14 is pachad, and it means to be startled. It means to be, be on your guard. It's the idea of being careful. Paul captures this idea. He uses a certain word in Ephesians 5, 15 when he says, See then that you walk circumspectly. Not as fools, but as wives. Circumspectly means very carefully, very carefully. Reminds me the time I just arrived in Kumasi in Ghana and went to the hotel room. It was all dark in the room. The first thing I do is I went up, threw open the curtains. It was on the second floor, this hotel room. And there was the uh, concrete wall. And right on the top of the concrete wall, I saw somebody I'd heard about, it, never saw before. All just, well, in Ghana, there's a lot of theft. And so hotels are a favorite place for thieves to hit. So all along the top of this wall, they had set in the concrete these sharp, broken pieces of glass bottles. And when the concrete was wet, they embedded them, you know, the sharp pieces of of glass, like razor-sharp spikes all over the top of this wall. So any robber who's got an idea to reach his hand over is going to get sliced up by the broken pieces of glass. It's been described that a cat walking along that wall how the cat looks very carefully for where to place his paw. <laughs> There's not a lot of opportunities. He's got to go right between the glass shards. And then the cat very carefully picks up his, other, his paw and very carefully and slowly places it in between the glass shards as he, as he makes his way across the top of the wall. See, It's like walking in a minefield of broken glass. And so that's a picture of the word circumspectly, walking circumspectly. So when the Bible tells us in Ephesians 5.15, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, it means we should live our lives like the cat walking on the top of the wall, stepping in between the broken pieces of glass, circumspectly, carefully. It's saying to us, we need to walk like that, like the cat does, and, to, and that's being wise. But to just you know, go into life and says you know what, you only live once, so let's live it up. That's to walk as a fool. When we look at what Isaac did, we have to be careful not to do what Peter did when he heard that all the apostles were gonna forsake the Lord. And Peter's response in Matthew 26, 33, Peter answered and said unto them, though all men should be offended, said this to the Lord, because of thee, yet not me. Will I never be offended, (laughs) he said. In verse 34, Jesus said unto him, is that right? He says, verily I say unto thee, This night, this very night, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. So the Lord told Peter, he's going to be the worst of all the apostles in his denying the Lord. And so, it's so tempting for us to look at another and say, "Well, I'd never do that. How could they do that?" You know, it's when a Gentile looks at the response of the Jewish people to their Messiah. And Paul warned Gentiles, you be careful about criticizing the Jewish people for their rejection of the Lord Jesus when he said in Romans 11, and if some of the branches were broken off and thou being a wild olive branch were grafted in among them and with them partakes of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, boast not thyself, boast not against the branches. But if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say, well, the branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in, (laughs) Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. See, Paul is saying, it's real tempting to say, well, you know, they were broken off so that I could be grafted in because that means I'm better than them. That's boasting against the natural olive branches. That's being called high-minded. And Paul uses the word fear. Be afraid of falling from the Lord Jesus Christ just as the Jews have fallen away. Be afraid of that. And trust in the Lord, to keep you from falling, as it says in Proverbs three twenty-six, for the Lord shall be thy confidence and shall keep thy foot from being taken. Now we see how God just do that and protect Isaac in verse 11. Abimelech charged all the people saying, he that touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. So here's God protecting Isaac from the very fear that Isaac is afraid of. You know, God caused this king to put a death sentence on any man who touched Isaac or Rebekah. See, to protect Rebekah and Isaac, God moved the heart of this king. As it says in Proverbs 21.1, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. So we can just picture the Lord saying, Isaac is afraid of this man uh, taking his wife and is afraid of uh, the men touching him. So let me see now. I'll just take the heart of Abimelech in my hand here right now. Let's see. Let's see. I remember how I caused the rivers of the water to turn. So I'll just do the same thing. I think I'll just move it and then outflows from Abimelech. This decree like rivers from water to protect Isaac and Rebekah. So when we read Abimelech's decree in verse 11, he that touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death, we understand how God saw that Isaac and Rebekah were very vulnerable and how God used Abimelech to make sure no one touched them. That's exactly what God did for the Jewish people when they numbered less than 100 people and they had a lot of wealth. They were very vulnerable and how God protected them in their vulnerability. I mean, Jewish people... Uh, not exactly known for great warriors, although they did, you know, but I don't know. Rather have lunch instead. But uh, Psalm 105, verse 12 says, When they were but few men in number, yea, very few, and strangers in it, when they went from one nation to another nation, from one kingdom to another kingdom, he suffered no man to do them wrong. Yea, he reproved kings for their sake, saying, Touch not mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm. And not only did God protect Isaac and Rebekah, but read of something else is just astounding. In verse 12, where you see where it says, we read this, um, and then Isaac sowed in the land and received in that land and received in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him.
0: Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org, that's God or go to itunes.com and search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages are cataloged by date and all available for free listening and free download. You can also call us directly for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God.